You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. I am excited to share with you. I'll be leading a trip to Israel this uh, next year. So we've got our brochures are a bit, have been a little bit back-ordered, but they ought to be out uh, in the next a few weeks. Uh, but this won't change the dates. The dates that I'll be leading that tour will be April 16th, uh, 2024. I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Um, start saving your money, though. It's uh, not a cheap trip, but it's an incredible trip, life-changing uh, experience. And uh, there's nobody I'd rather be with than the folks at North Valley. So uh, that's going to be really exciting for us to be able to do that. I went uh, recently and uh, familiarized myself with the country and had a, a great opportunity, 25 different pastors from around the nation. And the whole goal intent was it, to be able to come back and then uh, take you guys. So Lord willing, I'll take these trips, probably uh, a number of trips like this to educate and encourage you in your faith. Um, I'm hoping, and, and first we'll start with Israel. Uh, we might look at the journeys of Paul and then look at uh, Reformation history in years to come. So you're going to learn a lot of being a part of North Valley. So hope that uh, you can join me on that special trip. If you can't this time, let's try to do it another time. Um, this morning, we're back in the Gospel of John. Uh, last week, I was in New Mexico with my dad, my mom, uh, about 30 other uh, family members in the rice crew. And uh, my parents celebrated 50 years of marriage. It was so, yeah, we can celebrate that. Um, that, that was such a legacy. Every night we would gather together in this big cabin in Chama, New Mexico, and uh, we would just have an incredible time of fun, laughter, uh, sharing, admonishing um, the grandchildren, the kids. Uh, it, was, it was just deep, deep fellowship. It was the most restful experience ever. It was great. I slept until like eight o'clock every day. It was amazing. I woke up and grabbed a fishing rod, went down the hill and caught these huge rainbow trout. It was just the most incredible experience. We had such a great time. Um, so you might have noticed the little five o'clock shadow thing I'm going. My brothers are the Duck Dynasty fellows, so they have these huge beards, and I just decided, you know what, I'm tired and sick of this, so I'm just going to let it go, and we're gonna, I'm going to go for another big beard one day. So um, if you'd like the clean-shaved pastor, he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm so pumped to be able to preach this morning. Uh, teach me. It's a, it's, I hope it's the heartbeat of you um, that you want to be learning and growing. And so um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. What a powerful truth. It never changes. Lord Jesus, right now your people want to connect with you. They want to connect with you and know you. Father, for those that are perhaps even calloused in heart and uh, distant right now, but they're here seeking or searching at some level, may today be a day where they take a step closer. Enlighten us, renew us, restore us. Uh, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, John chapter 12, we're going to finish it out today. Um, this will wrap up this section of the Gospel of John. The series, as many series within the Gospel of John, is called Teach Me. And uh, John chapter 12, verses 35 uh, through 50 is where we're going to be looking at this morning. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bible. We have a, 
a, a North Valley app as well, and it has the outline of the message in there and a lot of the cross-reference scriptures I'll quote and paraphrase for you. Um, but I'm asking you to look at your own Bible for ju- this passage, and I'll give you the outline. The title of this message is called um, Now or Never. Um, have you ever been in a situation where it's like, you know you got to do it now or it's never going to happen? Uh, Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. A now or never moment in your life. Like you had to do it and you knew if you didn't, it probably would never happen. That was what the Lord spoke to me, not audibly, but that is what came across my mind um, when I was at this pivotal crossroads of whether I would really surrender my life to Jesus Christ or go back to the old ways. I was 18 years old. I had... uh, grown up around the church. Uh, my parents were, were always good, good and godly people, not that they were perfect, but they were, I had a solid foundation. I was the prodigal son kid. I uh, just raised all sorts of uh, hell all throughout high school. And then come my senior year, have this radical conversion moment. I surrender my life to Jesus Christ in the mountains of Colorado, overwhelmed by the power of creation, overwhelmed by the sovereign circumstances that led me to this point of surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. And everything changed in that kind of moment. I know these kind of testimonies get told a lot, like the sensationalism of it, but it is true. Uh, there's other folks that have the, the slow, gradual change in their life, and they, they kind of uh, couldn't tell you exactly when they believed. But I could tell you, I radically changed in one night uh, in Colorado underneath the stars. I go back, I get on the bus, I go home, and I'm thinking in my mind, how am I going to undo all of the troubled relationships that I've interwoven my life into over this last five to seven years. And I knew immediately I had to break up with my girlfriend. I had to tell my friends. Some of them had to move out of the house. My life was a a mess and I needed to make it right. And so I went over to my girlfriend's house and I told her, I said, I met Jesus Christ in Colorado and she laughed at me. I said, it changed my life, and I, I need to tell you I'm sorry. I treated you so wrong. I wasn't, I wasn't good to you. Um, God showed me I'm a sinner, and I need saving. I surrendered my life to Christ. It's changed. I'm a new person. And she said, so what does this mean? And I said, it means that we've got to break up. She wrapped her arms around me, and she said, Ryan, quit being so silly. I was planning on going to college with her. I was planning on living with her. I'd been cheating on her. My vision for life was not a life living for Jesus. And this is what the Lord said. You either surrender right now or you will never know me. This is the moment. I I don't know. Have you seen the cartoons where the angel's on one side and the devil's on the other side? That's what was happening. It was like a spiritual warfare banging around my mind. And I I just like, it it felt like I was moving a Mack truck. This girl was not heavy at all. I just put my hands on her shoulder and I just pushed her back and I said, no, you don't understand. It's over between us. I'm not going to Fayetteville. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to get discipled by these other Christian men. I don't know how to do life anymore. I'm seeking a whole new life. 
I'm so sorry. She grabbed my pictures from my trip. She grabbed them and she threw them out across the yard. A mom and a baby were walking by, scared, scoot off to the other side of the sidewalk. And she says, get out of here, leave. Don't ever come back. I got in my truck, a big, not beautiful, nice 1984 custom-made TMC, four on the floor, granny low four speed. It was so great. But anyway, that day I wasn't thinking about how great my truck was. Sorry, I just went back there for a moment. And I get in there and I literally put my hands on the wheel and I said, Lord, this is so hard living for you. But I want to do it. And I drove away and my Friday nights where most of my nights were on my knees. Somebody gave me some random Keith Green CD, which was way old for me, but I was listening to all this new Christian music because I hadn't listened to Christian music. My friends are down the road in the biggest Coke parties, uh, huge uh, keg parties, and those were my best friends. And now I'm, I'm, I'm dead to them. I am strange to them. And I say, my life for Jesus Christ, it was now or never. And that's where God changed me. There's a now or never moment in everybody's life. And it's like, you better do it now or it's never going to happen. And this is exactly what's happening in the nation of Israel. John chapter 12, this is the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, there's no more opportunities, no more preaching and teaching. These are the last words that Jesus says. It's the last call. The nation of Israel, by and large, is a nation of unbelief at this point in time. There's a few folks that have uh, come to faith in Christ in the Jewish community. But is it a now or never moment, picking up in verse 35. Uh, look in your scripture. It says, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Um, this is a call to believe in verses 35 through 36. Jesus says the light, and that light is a metaphor for salvation. That light is a metaphor for Jesus, God's righteousness, the light is among you for a little while longer. The reason why Jesus says that is because his life is about to end. The cross is before him. This is days before the crucifixion. The light is among you for a little while longer. Look what he says. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. In this little section of scripture, there's three little calls, uh, uh, invitations to follow after Jesus. This is the last call. This is the now or never moment for these people. Uh, Jesus has already predicted his death. Um, Gentiles and Greeks and folks have come to uh, place their faith in him. And there's a Jewish crowd now. And Jesus says, 
Walk while you have the light. In other words, start walking towards me. Start putting your trust in me. Live for me. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Uh, there's a metaphor but for the spiritual life uh, that light is living in a life that is uh, God-honoring and righteous and seeking to live for the Lord. And living in darkness is where you're hiding from God's ways, God's word. It's uh, you're living in opposition to God. And he says, walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. In other words, it's now or never. He says, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. Uh, this is a physical metaphor for a spiritual metaphor, but physically speaking, how many of you have ever walked in the dark and you really couldn't see where you're going? The light goes out in the house. Uh, maybe you're on a camping trip. The, the sun goes down. You forgot to pack a lantern. You, start, you start the truck. Uh, to turn on the headlights, you, you don't see where you're going very well. I remember uh, two, two stories on this light metaphor, and they're both around deer hunting. Uh, I grew up hunting and fishing, and that's the way my dad and I connected, even when I was a, a, a pain in the butt. Uh, I still had a good relationship with my dad around recreation. Um, Years ago, I, I went hunting, and it was uh, very dark outside, and I've been tracking this buck for uh, two, two or three days. And I knew his, uh, I knew his ruts. I knew where he was, uh, I knew where he was uh, uh, moving throughout the morning, and I had a good chance I knew where he was at, in, the, in the evening. And so I set up, and sure enough, he comes in in the evening, and God shined his favor upon me, and I was able to harvest a nice buck. That's the nice way of saying it. <laughs> and so I, I was able to harvest that buck, and I was so far up into the Ozark Mountains, so far away from my dad. I had a fractured ankle at the time. I was running a skate church ministry in downtown Little Rock, reaching the unchurched young punk kids. And I'd gone on this hunting trip, and I had a fractured ankle from trying to be cool like them. And I, I went hunting anyway, and I'm in the back country, and it goes completely dark. I don't have a headlamp. I, I've just uh, downed a beautiful big buck, and all of a sudden, the sun goes down, and I realize, like, I'm like four miles away from camp. And my dad and my uh, brothers, we don't have radio communication. So I go, I commence to drag my, my deer four miles down the mountain, and I've got a fractured ankle, and it's incredibly dark. And so now I'm dragging it, and then I start realizing, wait a second, my dad told me there's a lot of bear in this country. Uh, wait a second, uh, what is that noise I hear? And it's coyotes. And I'm not afraid of coyotes, but I'm afraid of like a pack of coyotes. <laughs> And I had a pack of coyotes starting to surround me and yipping. And I thought that they were probably three to five feet away because it was so dark. I couldn't see. And I'm dragging. And finally, long story short, after I'm scared to death, oh, well, this is the funny part. So I start getting nervous. And I didn't know, but I started walking in circles. 
And I, because I started seeing some of the blood trails that I drug around. And then I started thinking, good grief. And I don't know if you've ever panicked and been lost. But when you, when you panic and you get lost, you start doing kind of stupid stuff. Like you run to one section, then you run to another, and you just, you realize you are totally lost and you're in the darkness. So I didn't know what to do, so I just started firing my gun. And my dad and my brothers, miles away, they're like, Ryan's lost. And so my radio didn't work. So they come riding in on horses and headlamps. And first thing my dad says, why didn't you have a flashlight? And I'm like, I, I would have loved a flashlight. I forgot. Why didn't you bring your horse? I should have brought my horse. What's wrong with your ankle? I'm, I broke my ankle. Uh, here's the point. The point is, is when you are spiritually lost, you're like that. And nobody's coming in to ride on that horse with that light for you, apart from the grace of God intervening. That's what the Bible says, that you're lost, you're in darkness, apart from the intervention of God's amazing grace comes marching in. And that's what happens in the story of salvation. And Jesus says, well, you better walk while you have the light, ladies and gentlemen, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, you believe in the light that you may become sons of light. That's the beautiful story that when you start following after Jesus, you become something of influence. You become something of purpose and meaning. You have the light of life. Jesus said, you're light of the world. That's what Jesus said about his believers, the followers. When you believe, you become. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you get adopted into God's family. You got brothers and sisters in Christ. You're the light of the world. To the people around you, you have a whole new vision. You get a whole new purpose. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's a now or never moment. Never again will he make these kinds of invitations. Uh, This is the time before the cross. It's the last call. Some of you, maybe you needed to hear this, but that call is for you. If you hear it, you should respond. If you don't, there's incredible danger. Let's look at uh, verses 37 through 43. Uh, This is the unbelief of the people. We're going to look now and we're going to see the causes of unbelief, why people don't believe, why they wouldn't believe. Looking at verse 37, I'm picking up on the tail end of verse 36. It says, when Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. He said all he needed to say, and then he left. That was his last call. Verse 37, though he had done, this is John talking, the apostle John, though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. At the end of John's gospel, um, it says that Jesus did so many miracles, so many signs that it, there, there's not a library in the world that could hold all the signs and the miracles that he did. Um, the first reason people don't believe 
There's two that I'm going to point out in this passage. The first is, I'm calling it the stubbornness of man. It's the stubbornness of man. You were probably there. Your stubbornness of man, here's what's happening here. Jesus has turned water to wine. He has healed a blind man. He did the greatest miracle of all. He raised a man from the dead, Lazarus. That was his greatest miracle. Uh, the Jewish people never, uh, never re refuted the signs. They couldn't. They tried to. They tried to disprove them. They couldn't. But they still wouldn't believe. Do you know people like that? Like, miracles happen. Incredible things are going on. The providence of God is working all around their life, and they're still like, man, I wish God was real. And you're like, dude, God is so real. Do you not see this? The first reason people won't believe they won't believe Jesus. They won't believe in the testimony in your life is because there's a stubbornness in the heart of man. This is at the root. It's pride. It's the mother sin of all sins. It's the stubbornness of man. Though he did many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Verse 38, here comes the second cause, and I'm going to call it the sovereignty of God. Verse 38, so the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Isaiah was a prophet before the time of Christ, and he perhaps did more prophetic work on the person and the work of Jesus Christ than any other prophet. Uh, he did uh, predictions about uh, Jesus' birth, his death, his life. John adds this, so the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. This is in regards to the, your unbelief. This is a quotation Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. Let's back up again. That, that, that's a troubling statement, but it's a true statement. Verse 39, therefore they could not believe. Now, so first they didn't believe, now they could not. You cannot believe at this point. This is the time of no return. The now had already happened, now it's never going to happen. This is the sovereignty of God at work in this. When I first read this passage as a young believer, I thought, man, this seems tough. Let's go back through it. Verse 39, Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah says, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, 
lest they should see with their eyes, understand with their heart, and then in turn, and I would heal them. In the book of Exodus is the story of Moses and Pharaoh. And Moses goes to Egypt and he tells Pharaoh, quit pretending to be your, a god. You are not greater than the one true God. You need to deliver these, you need to deliver these people uh, and give them freedom. And Pharaoh rises up and it says in the scriptures that 10 different times Pharaoh hardened his heart. He did it himself. And then another 10 times it says, God hardened his heart. What happens? I think there's a point of no return. I think there's a point in time that the Bible tells us that what happens with the human condition, that you can reject Jesus Christ so many different times and there will be a point in time when all of the sudden the lights go out. The heart is hardened. The eyes cannot see anymore. But I will tell you, uh, this hardness of heart, God causes this hardness of heart because of his sovereignty. They had all sorts of opportunities. Jesus had been there. He had been uh, preaching, teaching. The last call had just taken place. He says, whoever believes, walk in the, walk in the light. And then comes this uh, hardness of heart. I, it says in verse 41, it says, Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory and spoke of him. Isaiah was speaking of the Messiah. He would never see the Messiah, but he was speaking of him. In Isaiah's days, uh, many people would not place their faith in God. And in Jesus' day, uh, many, many, many more people would not place their faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result of themselves hardening their hearts, God will ultimately harden their heart to finish and accomplish his plan and purpose. This is uh, why it's so important that if, if God is stirring in your heart, uh, your heart is soft at all towards God and you're seeking him, you should respond. Uh, you can't get through the scriptures of the New Testament or even the Old Testament without seeing this. There's always an invitation. Um, anytime uh, there's a judgment, there's always a witness and there's always a warning. People have opportunities to respond, but there comes a point in time when it's like you've crossed the line of no return. This is what the scripture is saying, that there is the reason for unbelief, the cause of unbelief, two reasons. It's the stubbornness of man. Man will reject uh, Jesus Christ and he will not believe because sinfulness is in his life and his heart. The Bible tells us we're born into sin. Um, the Bible tells us, uh, Psalms tells us we're born into sin. Uh, Romans tells us that sin entered the world and spread to all men. And so there's in us a stubbornness, but there's also, there comes a point in time when God himself will harden the heart. And that's what's happening here. The cause of unbelief, 
38 through 41. Let's pick up in verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. But look, here's grace. Verse 42, nevertheless, even many even of the authorities, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Uh, these are secret believers. Uh, there are some, and there will always be, and that's the grace and goodness, I think, of God with the nation of Israel, that there's always a remnant. Uh, they're the only people group that have never gone out of existence. And God has this incredible covenant love for His people, and it says, despite there was this hardening of heart that was occurring, verse 42, nevertheless, many even of the authorities, these would have been the religious leaders, believed in Him, but for fear of the Pharisees, fear of people, being put out of the synagogue would be cut off from social life and friendships. They did not confess it. Nicodemus was one of these kinds of guys. For a good little while, he was a secret believer. But if you read the end of the Gospel of John and you realize that Nicodemus is the one who goes before Pontius Pilate with Joseph of Arimathea, and he retrieves the body of the Lord Jesus, and he's no more a secret disciple. Now it's public. But this is the case of many people today. You're afraid to be a Christian. Because you know of the challenges, the, the challenges that you face in every single family. There's different lifestyle choices that are going on. One uh, cousin or aunt or uncle wants to self-identify as another sex. One has a completely different ideology and pol uh, pol politics that relate to your biblical values. You've got all these tensions that you're dealing with. And then to be a Christian, you can easily be labeled a fundamentalist or a bigot. And so it's very challenging to be a Christian today. These secret believers are scared, much like a lot of people today. They're scared. There's two kinds of people that we've covered in this section. There's the stubborn unbelievers of people that don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ, no matter how many miracles you, you could happen, they're stubborn and they're unbelief. And then there are these secret believers that are here. Let's look at the consequences of unbelief and belief, verses 44 through 50. This is a, in your Bible, it perhaps says Jesus came to save the world, and that was his plan in his first coming, but he is coming again. And, and we're going to see the consequences of unbelief and belief. What are the consequences of not believing in Jesus, and what are the consequences of believing in Jesus? Verse 44 it says, and, and Jesus cried out. He didn't whimper. He didn't whisper. He cried out. Uh, this is that last call. And cried out, 
whoever believes in me, that whoever statement occurs all the time. It's an invitation. What a good one. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Jesus is identifying with the Father because the problem with the Jewish people at this point in time was that they accepted God the Father. They just did not want to accept Jesus Christ the Son. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, uh, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. He believes in the Father. He's self-identifying with the Father. Verse 45, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am God. Verse 46, he says, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If you're a believer, you will not remain in darkness. If you're a believer, you will accept God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. You will accept Jesus is Lord. If you're a believer, you're going to experience salvation. You're going to experience a whole new life. You will not be in the darkness anymore. He says, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So that is the consequence of belief. If you jump down at verse 50, uh, it's mentioned that word eternal life. Jesus says, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Uh, the consequences of belief is salvation. It's living in the light. It's knowing God for who he is. It's, it's experiencing what God has. Let's look at verse 47, the consequences. This is the consequence of unbelief. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, that's not good. If you hear God's words but you don't keep them, the Apostle James has a lot to say about that. He says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I, do, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And this is true, this statement is true in his first coming. And the purpose of Jesus Christ coming into the world is to save the world in his first coming. In his second coming, it will be absolutely to judge the world. And this is what he says, verse 48. The one who rejects me does not receive my words, has a judge. In other words, there is a judge. Every person will be judged. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. That last day is a reference to what's called the great white throne judgment seat. At the end, after the time of the rapture, after the time of the tribulation, after the time of the millennial kingdom, there is a great white throne judgment. When every uh, unbeliever will be judged and they will go according to Revelation chapter 20, they will go before the great white throne. That great white throne is the throne of Jesus Christ and they will frantically seek to know if their name is written in that book of life. And the Bible says their name won't be found. 
their eternal destiny will not be in heaven, it will be in hell, in the lake of fire, where there is eternal conscious punishment. Um, Jesus Christ is saying, in my first coming, I've come to save. In my second coming, there will be a judgment. What is the consequence of unbelief? The consequence of unbelief is judgment. It's condemnation. The only thing that will send you to hell is a rejection of Jesus Christ. That's what will send you to hell. Nothing else will send you to hell. An absolute rejection and unbelief in Jesus Christ as Lord. And when Jesus Christ is Lord, you don't live in the darkness, you live in the light. Amen? And so there's a now or never moment at stake. There are consequences for the, the belief that you have. You believe in God, here's what you get. Eternal life. Living in the light. You get to know the fellowship with the Father. Unbelief, judgment, condemnation, eternal separation. It closes out in this section right here. In closing out the verses, picking back up in verse 49, he says, For I have spoken not on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say, what to speak, and I know this commandment is eternal life. That's grace again. What I say, therefore I say, as the Father has told me. So what? Here's three things I want to encourage you in closing. Number one is you remember God's grace changes unbelievers into believers. That's what happens. How do you move from unbelief to belief? God's grace. And when God's grace is at work, ladies and gentlemen, you better respond. The Bible tells us in John 3, um, Nicodemus came to Jesus and G Nicodemus wants to know how to be saved. And Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, I've already been born once. What are you talking about? He's like, you need a, Jesus is like, you need a whole new life. You need to be born again. A spiritual life. It's God's grace. Remember, God's grace can change unbelievers to believers. Jesus showed up in Nicodemus' life. Jesus shows up in all sorts of people's lives. John chapter 6 tells us that God draws us to himself. Sometimes what's happening in the church services or uh, at different churches all around the world is people are coming and they're being drawn by God to go because God's Spirit is at work in their life, convicting them, compelling them, moving them to a place where they're going to respond and say, I need saving. I need forgiveness. I need a change in my life. God's grace changes unbelievers into believers. This happened all throughout the scriptures. Number two, I would say, choose to live for God's glory, not man's. In looking at the, the passage that we read about, this secret believer appears again, and it says that they were f afraid, and they chose the praise of men rather than the praise of God. 
My exhortation to you is you choose every single day to live for God's glory, not man's. The glory that comes from man is an audience of many. You got a lot of people that you're trying to please. With all the social media, be careful. Don't rank your value on the likes you get, the shares that happen, the comments that are made. Uh, the glory that comes from man is an audience of many. The glory that comes from God is an audience of one. That's what keeps me going. The audience of one. The glory of, that comes from man lives for the, accept, the approval and the acceptance of others. The glory that comes from God lives from approval and the acceptance of God. When you're living for the glory of God, you're living a life that you feel, I'm already accepted, I'm already loved, I'm already in a good place because God loves me. Amen? When you're living for the approval of other people, you're constantly people-pleasing. You're constantly trying to win their affirmation. You constantly want to be accepted, and then you will feel loved. That's the glory of man. The glory of man is instant gratification. I want it now. The glory of God is delayed gratification. I'll wait. I'll trust in you, God. The glory of man is self-focused. It's all about you. The glory of God is others-focused. I got a phone call the other day from one of my mentors I've got several that I love. They're all good, godly men that are faithful to their wife and have been faithful in church ministry for three decades or more. Uh, Pastor Daryl Del Huse, I called them and I said, hey, uh, August, September, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be doing this thing. And, and uh, he said, he, well, he answered the phone. He says, how can I help you, Ryan? How can I make you better? And I said, Pastor Daryl, you're making me better because every time I call you, you always say the same thing. And he says, it's Philippians 2.2. I said, wow, you had that memorized. Look to the interest of others. The glory of God is about serving others. John chapter 13, we're going to see this incredible unfolding, I think, of servant leadership. On Father's Day, I'll preach a Father's Day message just to the men. Um about being a father and that sacred calling. And then after Father's Day, I'll jump into John 13. It's about serving others. The glory of man is motivated by fear. The glory of God is motivated by faith. The glory of man is performance-based. The glory of God that comes from God is grace-based. The glory that comes from man is to be proud the glory that comes from God is to be humble. The glory that comes from man is you be successful. But the glory that comes from God is would you just be faithful? I tell my kids, if you want to be successful in life, you just be faithful to Jesus. I don't care what you do, but you better be faithful to Jesus. Do you want to be successful? Be faithful. The glory that comes from man is self-created. The glory that comes from God is God-created. The glory that comes from man leads to death. The glory that comes from God leads to life. The glory that comes from man is about willpower. 
The glory that comes from God is about God's power in your life. The glory that comes from man is natural, but the glory that comes from God is supernatural. The glory that comes from man is about taking, taking all you can in life. The glory that comes from God is about giving, giving your life away. The glory that comes from man is loud, and it's in your face all the time. The glory that comes from God is quiet. The glory that comes from man is externally focused. The glory that comes from God is internally focused. The glory that comes from man is temporal. The glory that comes from God is eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I do pray that we would uh, seek to live for your glory and nobody else's. You're good. And Lord, we need you. Father, for those that perhaps are in the room and they're uncertain of their position with you, maybe it's a now or never moment. Maybe their heart is softened. The scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Father, I pray for all that are on that edge, might they cross the line and say, today, I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we celebrate many baptisms this coming weekend at Lake Day. Thank you for their public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. No more secret believers. We pray for our courage to rise up. Lord, give us a, a faith and encouragement, Father, that we would share our faith with others, recognize our calling to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with other people before it's too late. Father, for those that are uncertain, might they place their faith in you, acknowledge their sin, believe in you to save them from their sin, confess you as Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.